Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Decision Hour. I'm Adam, and with me, as always, my partner in crime, Patty. Adam, how's it going? It's going. It's going. How are you? Good. I'm loving Good. it. Loving it. We got an exciting show uh, for everyone listening today. Uh, I'm super excited to have our guests on. So without further ado, I'm, let's just jump right into it. I'm yeah. going to turn it over to we, you. Go for it. Okay. We have Brian Sane on the line with us today. And um, Brian has an extensive um, police history, right? Law enforcement history. And um, I don't want to mess up his bio because it is so extensive. Brian, I'd like to just go ahead, jump in and have you introduce yourself and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Oh, hey, good morning. I, I've been a cop going on 30 years now, I guess. Um, you know, it just seems like yesterday I got started in it. I uh, was headed to U.S. Army Special Forces is where I wanted to go and met a girl, got married, had kids. And that's no, you know, that's a tough, that's a tough gig for, for, for a, a young family. So I, I wound up going the law enforcement route and I really never looked back. But, um, man, I've done just about everything except work narcotics and, and, uh, was a detective a long time, assigned to training for a long time, taught snipers all over the U.S. for, for quite a long time. And, um, you know, just dealing with the military and dealing with uh, with cops all the time. And, and for, a, for a brief time, I helped run Black Hills Ammunition out in Ralph, uh, Rapid City, South Dakota. So that was a whole new experience that, 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 you know, gave me some subject matter expert credentials when I went back into law enforcement. So, um, you know, law enforcement is changing. It's a different world out there these days, and we can have a whole show just on that. But uh, yeah. I'm currently assigned to an investigation. Today. I'm working on homicide these days, and I uh, just came out of training division for eight years. But um, I work for a sheriff's department here in Texas and, and did 20 out of PD in Texas. So um, the beat goes on, you know. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. Oh <laughs> Times have definitely changed. I remember stories from my grandfather who's retired um he retired from the flint police department and um he would talk about you know using the billy club back then <laughs> now we have tasers and all sorts of things um so when you started out what are the biggest differences that you have seen um, over your law enforcement career as far as when you started out versus today you know the biggest difference i see is the is the level of quality of police officer we, we get these days because the kids nowadays they get into and I call them kids because I mean I, I'm, I'm an old guy now 56 and and, and the, the young officers that get in there nowadays they're so well versed in technology I mean all the all the electronics and the police cars and all that stuff they can do all of that but they really don't they really don't have because of the cell phones and everything they really don't have that human element of communication that, that we all used to have to have before the internet you know, if you True. if you show up at a suicide or a homicide and you've got a family that is in crisis, you've got to be able to talk to those people. And, and the technology is not going to get you home. And, and what I see these days is a lack of communication abilities with the younger officers. You know, if you're talking to someone who's who's just had, uh, you know, their world come crashing down on them, you got to be able to put your arm around them and help them, you know, rather than just take that stoic approach and static Yes, ma'am, just the facts. That just doesn't get it. You know, you've got to be able to take yourself out of that uniform and put yourself in those people's position or or, or you're not going to be really good at this job, you know, and that's what I see. The, that, that's the biggest change I've seen. Yeah, Brian, I, I got a question. So my brother's in, uh, in law enforcement. He's now four, going on his fourth year with the sheriff's department up in Wisconsin. And 
And one of the questions that I've asked him is, and he's he's a young guy. I mean, he's he, he is a kid. I mean, he just turned twenty eight, uh, still wet behind the ears. And I, I've I've worked uh, with a lot of law enforcement agencies when I was uh, I was at a counter drug program for for four years, and I see the difference, or I I, I don't want to see a difference, but I think there is a difference. But maybe you can help us out with this. Is you know. I kind of see, and this is Adam Bird's opinion, but I kind of see that our law enforcement agencies across the country are kind of starting to get handicapped a little bit um, just because of the stories that have come out over the last couple of years or whatnot. And, and you know, I, I take my hats off to you guys because it's, it's you guys are doing this on an everyday basis where you got to go out and put up with other people's issues and problems and, uh, you know, crime that's being committed and, and, and whatnot. But do you feel that, there's a sense that that the law enforcement uh, across the country might be is, is getting kind of uh, handicapped in in the public's eye a little bit, kind of a bad rap with 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 the media. Well, no, we've always nobody calls a cop when you know nobody calls a cop when the world's good, and then when it goes bad, it, a lot of times it's easier to blame the cop than 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 the you know the other you know not that cops don't do stuff wrong, it happens, you know, I mean. But that happens with every profession. Yes. And what what I see is, is a societal change as a whole. You know, people are having to work harder. They're not at home with their kids. They just let the kids play video games and stuff instead of, again, it all, that's the, in my opinion, that's where that human interaction starts is at home. You know, my, I grew up jitterbugging and doing the twists with my mom and dad. And, and dad, you know, we, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have video games. We didn't have all that stuff. And I hate to sound like that crotch deal guy because I got every bit of that stuff. I'm on a, I'm on a cell phone right now, you know. <laughs> but what I see as far as affecting law enforcement is a is a broad spectrum of society. You know, it used to if if you had to you were involved in a shooting or something in, in the line of duty, or you had to you had to uh, you know a very rare use of force, which doesn't happen like they you know they put it out these days. You know, it's not as violent now as it was 89, 89 to 93 was supposed to be the most violent period in American history. Oh, wow. You just didn't see it on your phone every day. You know, it's not as violent now as it was then, but it's just in your face all day long. And, you know, people, I, I have never seen an episode of CSI or uh, NCIS. Or, you know, I don't watch those shows because it's not real. You know, it's not based in reality. But you get people on a jury and they think, oh, I saw this on CSI. And it's like, that's that's fictional, you know. It's not, but they will they will make a jury based decision on something they saw off the television, and and that's scary for us because we're living in the real world, not Hollywood, mm-hmm. you know. And 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 you you're supposed to be judged by twelve people who are a group of your peers. Nowadays, we don't know which bathroom to go in. <laughs> So, that's true. Yeah, that's I, I mean, true. I've got to make a life and death decision on your family matter, and then I got these people that may or may not have a God-given sense of a commode float making a decision on my fate. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that is true. Adam's sitting here cracking up because he knows it's true. It's true. It's, it's uh, is the perfect um, answer. It is the perfect answer. Oh is- and forget and forgive my redneck analogy because I mean I'm you know I'm not stupid and just because I'm from Texas just because we talk this way doesn't mean we're stupid. You know? No, but- I I love the bluntness and the truthful well, truthfulness I, of I, that answer. I, I, Patty, real quick, I I think one of the, the things is I don't 
I think that this is what I like. Answers like this were were he's not sugarcoating anything. That's it. Like I don't like nowadays I think everybody sugarcoats stuff because they're worried about hurting somebody's feelings or this or that or the other thing. Like, listen, it it's give it to me straight. That's that's how it needs to be. And so it this is perfect. It be blunt. You know, because that's what that's what we need as a society. I think we've gotten too soft. I think we need to be more blunt and just more direct with the answers and stuff. Like, listen, you messed up. You're going to jail. Whatever the case may be, you know, not that I, I don't know. Well, that, that, that's me. People can deal with the truth, even if it's you know, and it doesn't have to be ugly. It doesn't have to be nasty, mm-hmm. but they can deal with the truth. If you sugarcoat it and lie and and all that kind of stuff, people can they can't deal with that. Yeah. And and you know, my, my whole being is around the truth and the law. So that's, you know, that's, that's the world I live in. So mm-hmm. what is one of your most memorable times as a law enforcement agent? Uh, man, um, man, I've lost several friends. I've, I've had, I've had five personal friends commit suicide in law enforcement. And, um, before, before nine 11, nobody, nobody suffered as much of that as law enforcement. Now the military guys are, you know, we're losing them daily. And uh, my son was a soldier, uh, did a tour in Afghanistan, had a pretty rough trip. He's okay, but I uh, had a pretty rough trip. And uh, de- dealing with those was uh, because they, they were close friends. And I had no idea. Uh, and, and one day they're here, the next day they're gone. And th- those were, uh, those immediately come to mind. Just the, you know, significant sense of law. Chris Kyle was a great friend of mine. And, um, you know that that's a whole that's a whole different radio show there, but but those those, those come to mind. But uh, man, there's so many. I mean, 30 years in law enforcement, day in day out, helping people. That's that, I can't answer that, and, and I'd have to think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people do talk about the military suicide right now, um, but not not really talk about the law enforcement suicide rate. So that's a, a very important topic that we need to hammer in. A little bit more. Yeah, yeah, it's chronic and always has been. Um, but we, you know, the cops are—we're duty bound. We don't do it for the money, obviously. And although some agencies pay well, but you know, we just quietly go about our day, doing what we do, and let the media and the people say what they're going to. We help as many people as we can, and and if we got bad ones, we root them out and we prosecute them. I've put three police officers in jail myself. And I hate to dote on that because there's such, you know, thousands and thousands of calls to service every single day where nothing goes wrong. Nobody got hurt and they save people's lives, but that's not news. So you don't hear about it. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things um, growing up being around my grandpa, when he talked about his police work was listening to the funny stories. Do you have a funny story that sticks out in your mind? Oh my God. Yes, ma'am. Uh, yeah, they, they, I could, again, I could go on and on and on. So one time we got, I got a call of the supposedly a gunfight and, and where I worked, it wasn't Mayberry. I mean, it, it's rough. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm, there's supposedly a gunfight between, you know, four or five dope dealers in the Sally. And I go by myself, it's three in the morning and I'm by myself, you know, walking through the Sally. Well, I, I don't see any smoke in the air. I don't see any dead gangbangers anywhere. I have no evidence of a gunfight anywhere. Well, I'm looking on the ground and there's something foamy looking in red on the ground. I'm like, uh-oh, what do we got here? You know, so 
it, there's this old abandoned car and I bent down to see what it was. Well, there was a black chow dog staked out to that car that I never saw. He was black as night. Oh. And, and he got to the end of his, he wanted to eat me. <laughs> and he didn't make us, he did not make a sound until he got to the end of his chain. And I fell over backwards to try to do my best lethal weapon roll. And it was horrible. Slapping him, I couldn't even get my gun out of the holster. And he was just, you know, he was just vicious. And, and I realized he wasn't going to get off the chain. I'm just laying on my back in the dew at two in the morning, you know, <laughs> laughing at myself for being such a coward, you know. And, uh, and this dog is just like going bananas, you know. Needless to, it was, you know, and the red stuff was a big mouth of Michigan cherry candy somebody had spit out. You know, I'm like, oh my God, you know. Yeah, and that, that's just one. I could go on forever, but some of them aren't suitable for the radio. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now, um, how did you end up getting involved in law enforcement? What What made you want to choose that career? Well, you know, my, ever since I was a kid, my grandfather used to tell me, you know, ride around his old lumber truck. He's like, hey, look, if you ever get in trouble, you know, and I'm not around, find a cop and they will help you. And I still teach that lesson to kids in the academy and, and, and children myself. So that always stuck with me. I always resonated with me ever since I was little. But I always wanted to go in the Marine Corps or U.S. Army Special Forces. That was my dream goal. And I never did do it. And, and I think things happen for a reason. And, you know, like I said, I met a girl, got married, had children. And, and, and a military life is hard, hard on the spouse. And I realized that. And I thought, okay, I, I'm a journeyman lineman also. And I was doing line work at the time. I didn't want to be doing that when I'm my age now. So I thought, okay, I can't go in the military, whatever. And law enforcement is the next best thing. And, and, and I found a home there. So, you know, and I've been real successful at it and absolutely love it. So mm -hmm. That's I, amazing. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Um, when did you start training? I know um, I've read your bio and you mentioned that you're a sniper. And could you tell us also about the organization that um, is an American snipers organization? Yes, that, could you tell us a little yes, bit about that? Sure. I, you know, especially post 9-11. I mean, I, I, the first time I went to sniper school was in 1991. And one of, one of the most famous snipers in history, a Marine Corps sniper named Carlos Hathcock was one of my instructors. I'm close friends with his family to this day. Um, that community is really, really small. And we, we had kind of have a thing we call a three phone call rule, you know, because everybody wants to grab a piece of the magic and say they're a sniper or claim they're a Navy SEAL or some kind of stuff, you know, and they've yeah. never done any of that. And, and that the old stolen valor thing. And we, we kind of call it the three phone call rule. We can figure out if you're going around saying I did this or I did that three phone calls, we can figure out if, if you're for real, you know, what you're saying is true or if you're, full of crap as a Christmas turkey, you know, I mean, you know, we can figure it out pretty fast and we bust those people out hard, but I went to sniper school in 91, been on a cop sniper or sniper instructor my whole career. Well, after 9-11, I had two friends, long story short, and I had two friends, one in the Marine Corps Reserve, one in the Army National Guard. Both of them were law enforcement snipers. Both of them had been to military sniper school. So they find themselves in Afghanistan and Iraq. And, you know, after, after 9-11, we were kicking butt in Iraq, I mean, Afghanistan pretty good. And then the Iraq thing started up and we still had people in Afghanistan and that's when they got called up. So they're on active duty. They need all kind of gear that, you know, they're in the reserves and national guard and those guys, man, they suffer gear wise. So they're like calling me from over there and they're like, Hey man, look, I need this and this and this. 
can you hook a brother up? And I'm like, man, I can send you what I got in my gear bag, but that's all I got. So, I mean, at the time I, you know, I, I put on a uniform and started going around town saying, look, I got guys in the fight. And back then America was still pretty patriotic and, and, and the city just rolled out, man. They threw money at me. So I bought those guys, all the stuff they needed. And I had money left. Well, that money wasn't mine. It belonged to the community. They gave it to me. So I started calling the sniper schoolhouses, just cold calls to Quantico, Camp Pendleton, you know, Fort Benning, Fort Bragg, you know, Camp Robinson, National in Arkansas, where all the sniper schools are. And I'm like, hey, look, I'm a cop. And no, normally when the Marine, when the, when the Army and the military guys get a call from a cop, it's not a good thing. But but in this case, you know, there I'm like, look, I'm trying to help these guys. I did, you know, do you got guys that need gear? And the need was huge. I mean, I figured if my two friends needed it, you know, the broader spectrum was, uh, was, was way bigger than, than, than I was, you know, and it's, you know, you, you, you know, you hear people say support your troops all the time and it's easy to put a yellow magnet on your car with a ribbon or whatever, but, yes. but that's not, that's not doing anything. Get off your butt and do something. And exactly. so, you know, I made the decision right then and there to help every single member of the u.s military i could that was on a scoped rifle and i i got told by i don't know how many majors colonels captains i was crazy for well that was that was the end of 2002 um we're probably we're probably three and a half million dollars raised and over 1200 different units of snipers supported since then wow that is amazing Adam's little pen is going. I see him writing down all sorts of stuff that you've been saying, which is great because um, you, when we have a guest on the show and they say important things, we like to write those things down so that we learn from them. And I don't think Adam's put the pen down one time since you started talking. <laughs> so, um, Brian, you've been very helpful and very insightful on um, several different topics this morning. And um, so you have mentioned... Uh, about how important it seems like family is to you. How are they with, um, how, how are they supporting you or um, how are they helping you out as a, a law enforcement agent? You, it, it's sort of like military family support is so important. Um, it seems like family is really important to you. It is. And unfortunately, you know, police officers and military guys, a lot of us are divorced. I've been divorced twice, you know, and law enforcement being, you know, you, you have crappy days off, you work crappy schedules, you deal with the worst in society, you know, and, and one of the problems cops have is they want to insulate their family from the horror they see every day and, yeah. and they don't talk about it. And, and sometimes, you know, your spouse needs to know about it, you know, and, and what we find is like, you know, if you left the dishes in the sink before you went on your tour of duty and you go work a triple homicide and you come home and the wife is tearing you up about those dishes, that's just as big a deal. Yeah. Those dishes are just as big a deal as your triple homicide. Mm -hmm. and, and it's hard for us to make that shift sometimes. And, and it takes a toll on family, you know. And uh, like I said, I've been divorced a couple of times. I'm single now. Um, you know, my kids, uh, they weren't around. That You know, my ex moved away. And so, my, you know, and of course, my kids and I now are very, very close. I mean, you would never know. I stayed in contact with them and all that, but they're product of divorce and that's hard, you know, and, and that, that's hard on the kids. It's hard on you. It is. And I think that um, education, though, for the family side of things um, could be a lot better as far as when you're mentioning, you know, this 
the wife or the other significant other, whatever, um, is worried about those dishes, but they kind of need to open their mind and realize too the line of work that you're doing and um, communicate a little bit better. Um, and and a lot of that, a lot of that goes, you know, that speaks straight to pick pick your spouse wisely because I know guys that have been yeah. married, you know, off for 30, 40, 50 years, and and that's anybody, you know. I mean, it, you know, and in my case, you know, I, I was a family violence detective for ten years. Well, in Texas, where I live, if you go through a divorce with children. You have to sit through a divorce with children class before your divorce is granted. You know, before you go to court, you have to sit through that class. Well, when I showed up for mine, the person that was supposed to teach it was gone. And the DA was like, oh, hey, detective, what are you here for? I'm going to divorce. What do you want to teach a class? I had to teach my own divorce with children class. You know, so it's like, (laughs) yeehaw. (laughs) Brian, real quick, I want to... You know, we, as you get, folks are listening to this, I want you to be able to go to go to this page. People that are are listening to this and want to get involved or uh, in some form or fashion, can they can they make a donation to the organization, or how do they they go about doing that, or seeing what what you guys are doing, where you guys are going to be, et cetera? Where sure, where, where do they sure. reach out to you? Well, americansnipers.org, Chris, like I said, Chris Kyle is a great friend of mine, and he actually took inspiration for the book and title and the movie title from my organization or our organization, it's not mine, it's ours. It's way bigger than me now. But if you go to americasnipers.org, it's entirely, it's entirely funded by civic donations. The, the, um, we got little to no administrative costs. People call us all the time and they're like, hey, how do I know I'm not getting ripped off? How do I know that every penny of this is going to GI Joe? And, and we're like three rungs up in the charitable organizations. We're not just a nonprofit because every penny we get goes to GI Joe. Um, all of our administrative stuff is donated. Uh, our computer, our IT work, all that stuff is donated. People, patriotic Americans, you know, conservative people for the most part, they're like, hey, how can I help? And I'm like, hey, you, you know, I'll run a computer service. So I do this or I do that. And and we don't really put a lot of time, you know, conditions on them on how they help us. And it's really been a, a winning formula because we just let people be them. You don't have a guy call me up and say, hey, man, you know, I, I want to run a rifle match in – South Dakota and, and send you guys the proceeds. So they'll do that. And then, you know, we're a 501 C three nonprofit. So every bit of it is tax don't, uh, you know, tax deductible. Um, all they have to do is send donate, you know, the donations to americansnipers.org. If you go to americansnipers.org, all our, our, our IRS paperwork is there on the page and it's easy to donate right there on the site. And people are like, well, you know, early on when in Iraq and Afghanistan, those guys over there needed everything. It's kind of gotten more specialized. The military's kind of caught up with that. But the gear we're sending is sniper specific. And when I say that, I'm talking about a certain brand of rifle scope that's not cheap, a certain type of type uh, tripod that's not cheap, you know, a certain type of, 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 there's four or five types of, you know, wind meters, weather meters that are not cheap. And, and, you know, that's the problem with those guys getting that, you know, there may be, four snipers in an entire unit of 30 guys and the gear they need costs more than everybody else has put together. You know, so, you know, we provide those pieces of gear, but every bit of it is funded by civic donations from middle-class Americans. I, I don't have rich people jumping up and down to help this thing. It's a working class people in this country that are making it work. And, and you know, nothing's really changed. It, it was the same in 1776. 
you know, the Continental Congress couldn't provide for the Continental Army. And people had to send stuff from home. And that has not changed one bit. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. I, I, I'm sitting here, my pen's on fire. I've got like three pages of notes. I love you guys' organization, man. I, I, I've been following you guys for, for, for quite a while. Um, I believe in what you guys are doing. Um, and I'll, I know we're coming up on time here, Patty, but Brian, I, again, I want to say thank you so much for, you know, taking time out of your busy schedule. Uh, and if you always have an open mic, uh, here with, with Patty and myself, um, and in Heroes Media Group. So if there's ever anything that you need from us, please don't hesitate to uh, to let us know uh, moving forward. Well, I sure will. You know, I mean, those guys, and I'm going to get emotional about it if I, <laughs> if I keep going. So, uh, you know, they're our countrymen. Yeah. Yeah. We, and they're the best. Of, they're, they are the best of us, period. And, you know, AmericanSnipers.org will never, make a penny off the back of an American GI. It's just not going to happen. So I, I greatly appreciate you guys' time and, and what you're doing. And, and thanks for helping us get the word out. Folks, you are, you're already listening to the show. Open up another browser and go to americansnipers.org. Uh, this is a great organization, and these guys are out there protecting us every day and every night. So make sure you check them out. And we're going to have this stuff up on our social media pages as well. But go to americansnipers.org and check them out. Patty, any parting words? Uh, Just thank you so much for being on the show, Brian. I really respect you. I have just so much respect. So thank you. Yes, ma'am. Hey, one one quick point. And it's American Snipers, plural, not American Sniper, which is a different organization, an educational organization. So it's not American Sniper. It's American Snipers, plural, dot org. All right. Thank, thank awesome. you. Awesome. Make sure, folks, check that out. American Snipers, plural, dot O-R-G. Uh, that's all the time that we have for today, folks. Uh, real quick, make sure you go to, uh, got to give a shout out to our home network, Heroes Media Group. Go over there, check out all the great shows that are coming on board. Some new ones just came up. Go to www.heroesmediagroup.com. For Patty, I'm Adam. You've been listening to The Decision Hour.